And so I get to bring you a, uh, a special message for the 2.30 service this Sunday. And I've called it, You Can Do It. Gide- the Gideon anointing, you can do it. So I'm going to read to you from Judges chapter 6, verse 11 following. Judges chapter 6 and verse 11 following. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. Then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread and put an ephah of flour and put the meat in the basket and the broth in the pot and brought them out to him under the oak and presented him. Then the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it's still there in opera of the Abarites. Now on the same night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and a second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah pole that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this stronghold in an orderly manner. And take a second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah, which you shall cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. But because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day, he did it by night. So here we have this story, a famous story about Gideon. And God would take Gideon and uh, he would take 300 men with Gideon and he would defeat the Midianites miraculously. And this really is a, a story to all of us today because it just shows you that anybody can do anything if God is with them. Jesus said, didn't he, to his disciples, he said, uh, with God, all things are 
possible. Now, what was happening here and what the story of the book of Judges is really about is we call it the cycle of Judges because what we see again and again in the book of Judges is this. The children of Israel turn away from the true and living God and they start to worship the gods of other peoples, the Canaanites that they hadn't fully driven out of the land like they should have done. And they turn from God, they turn from his ways, they worship other gods. And then what God does is he then judges them and he allows their enemies to get the better hand of them. And so all these enemies that they didn't drive out, when they turn from the living God, these enemies then overcome them. This is what had happened in Gideon's time. If you go back into chapter 6, verse 1, it says, The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midian for seven years. So they did evil in the sight of the Lord, and then the Lord allows their enemies to triumph over them. You'll see this again and again and again if you read the book of Judges. But then after a while in this cycle, having rebelled against God and been given over to defeat under their enemies, every so often what happens is the people cry out to the Lord and it says, the Lord hears their cry and what does he do? He sends them a deliverer what we call one of the great judges, and he sends them along. He sends them a Deborah, or he sends them a Samson, or here he'll send them a Gideon, and gives them a supernatural anointing to deliver his people from the hand of their enemies. Once they're delivered, the judge looks after the people and rules them for a certain amount of time, and they begin to prosper again. They begin, things begin to go well, and then guess what happens? Well, after a while, they get used to their prosperity, everything going well. They forget that it was God that delivered them. A new generation arises that didn't remember the hand of God, and then they turn back to the false gods. And you know, the book of Judges is a very long time. I used to think that the book of Judges, because it was quite a short book, was probably 100 years or so. But you know, it's actually around 400 years that this period is going on. So the book of Judges is a very long time. If we go back 400 years from today, Queen Elizabeth I was on the throne. So when you look at the book of Judges, it's quite a long time that's going past that this cycle was taking place. And so here we come to one of the parts of the cycle where God is about to raise up a, a, a deliverer, a judge, and his name is Gideon. And this is really, Gideon is really a story of how God can use anybody. And often it's the nobodies that God wants to make a somebody in his kingdom. And so God is showing us that, that those that think that they are least qualified to be used by God are prime candidates to be used by God. That's why I entitled this sermon, You Can Do It. If you feel that you're not able, that you're not equipped like Gideon felt, then uh, you are a prime candidate for God to use you in a very powerful way. Because as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, not many of us that God chose were rich or famous or highly educated or highly skilled. But Paul said, but, but most of us that were chose by God were nobodies. 
but God chose the nobodies of this world to shame the somebodies of this world. And God chose the base things and the humble things and the things and the people that, that other people bypass. He chooses those people, the nobodies, if I can put it that way, uh, in order to show that God is a somebody because he can use anybody. This is the message of Gideon. And when the angel visits him, we find him, he's actually in what, what would be like a huge, big oak barrel, like a wine press, where nobody can find him. He's hiding in this wine press. And what is he doing there? Well, he is beating out the wheat in the wine press to save it from the Midianites. The Midianites would sweep down and they would destroy all the crops. And so here's Gideon hiding inside this big wine press uh, where nobody can see him quietly trying to get some grain from the wheat so that he can have just enough to get by. Well, what a picture of the situation of God's people and God's champion. Notice that when, in verse 12, the angel addresses him, hiding in this big wine press, he addresses him as, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Well, he had a long way to go to prove that he was a valiant warrior, hiding from the enemy, quietly getting just enough wheat for himself and his family to just make it through. You see, this is a picture of where God will often find those of us that don't believe that God could call us or use us. Those of us that feel that we are disqualified to use greatly by God because we think we don't have the resources or the background or the education. And so when God comes to such as that, he'll often find us in our own wine presses, if I can put it that way, hiding in our wine presses. Well, what would it mean to hide in our wine presses today? Well, Gideon was hiding. He was uh, hemmed in. He, he had got himself a hiding place from the world around him that he believed the world couldn't penetrate. He had no intentions of facing up to the world as it was outside the wine press because that world was a scary world. It was full of Midianites and false gods who had great power and were sweeping in year after year, seven years by now, and not nobody could stop them. The last thing that Gideon was going to do was step out and face the real world. So what did he do? He created his own little world of safety. And the present day Gideons, and maybe you're one of them, they often fearful of the big bad world. It's just so big out there. There's so many powerful people. There's so many false gods and, and everything seems uh, to be going wrong out there. What on earth could I possibly do with all these huge spiritual forces in the world today? I guess what I'll do is I'll just make sure I've got, got enough to keep going and I'll keep my head down. I'll keep out of harm's way. Uh, I'll go to work during the day and I'll keep quiet at home. And it's like a disinterest engagement from the reality of the world around them. We find often that Christians do this by, by see, simply keeping themselves to themselves, uh, by, by finding places of comfort, places of security. That could be watching television every night. 
That could be just coming to every service but, uh, and having Christian friends but having no Christian friends. Or not telling people at work or allowing people to realize who they are, that they are Christians. Or not preparing themselves for the world. That they're just trying to make it through the day, trying to make it through the week. Uh, it's a victory, perhaps if they come to church on a Sunday, that they're just making it by. Well, well, he was Gideon, he was just making it through, just getting enough grain in this hiding place. He was just thinking at that time about himself and his family and getting through the next attack of the enemy. So often we find Gideons and the Gideons are hiding, hiding from the real world because the real world seems too powerful and they seem too frail to believe that they could make any difference. And anyway, where is God in the world today? So the angel prophesies over him. That's what he's doing. And this angel is the angel of the Lord. It's a manifestation of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. What an incredible statement. You know, sometimes God will speak over us who we are to him, but it's def very different to who we think about, who we think we are to ourselves. And when God speaks to us, he'll always give us, if I can put it this way, a new name. We heard about the name of the young child that was being born today, Aaron, and, uh, and, and, and that there's, there's the significance attached to a name. Right through the Bible, people were given new names because God had given them new identities. Can you think of Abram when he was named Abraham? father of many nations, and for 50 years he had to walk around and people would say, what's your name? And he would say, father of many nations. And they would say, how many children have you got? And he'd say, none. That must have been a tough break. That must have been hard for, for Abraham. To Sarah was called princess. Uh, then, you, then you've got Jacob, which means struggler. But when he met with God and God powerfully sanctified and consecrated him, his name was changed to Israel, which is prince, uh, prince with God. So you see throughout the uh, Bible that, that God can rename people. He can give them a new name. And that name is usually very, very different to the way that they see themselves at that moment. So Gideon is called Valiant Warrior. Why would he be a Valiant Warrior? He'd never done any fighting in his life. He'd never joined the army. He'd, he'd never, he, he didn't know how to use the sword. He'd never been out there fighting at all. But, but here's God, and God says, you're a valiant warrior. I wonder what God is speaking to us through his spirit and his word, perhaps through people praying over us. God speaks something over us, and we reject it as Gideon rejects it because we think that couldn't possibly be me. I don't know about you, but I have had words over my life that have stayed with me. And at times I've looked at them and I've thought, impossible. There's no way. They must have missed it. This must be me being arrogant, thinking that I could do this or be this. But, you know, over the years, things take place. And slowly but surely, you begin to see yourself when you're walking with the Lord, even with mistakes, becoming that which was spoken over you. I'll give you an illustration. On New Year's Eve 2000, as we were coming into the year 2000, New Year's Eve, at our tabernacle venue, when we had this big venue we used for evening services in North Acton. It's Carphone Warehouse now. 
And uh, it was an all-night service, preaching, and we had breakfast in the morning. And during the, during the middle of the night, I don't know when it, when it was, it was in the middle of the night, I went to the bathroom there to wash my face and just to keep myself awake for the whole evening. And as I did it, I washed my face, and as I looked into the mirror, a strange thing happened. I caught my own gaze. Now, I don't know about you, but when I shave in the mirror or brush my hair, I don't spend gaze, time gazing into my own eyes. I'd be worried if I did. You're just checking to see everything's all right, and you go away. But this time, I caught my own gaze. I got fixed in it. And then I began to see a vision of myself. And in it, inside, in my mind, I could see myself changing in the mirror. And it was like everything about me seemed to change. I can't describe it because it was a spiritual vision. But the person I began to see in the mirror, the Bruce, was, was a Bruce that was so confident in the Lord. It was a Bruce that was fearless because he trusted in God. It was a Bruce that had come to the fullness of maturity in Christ. I can't really explain it, except I could just see it in my face, in my eyes, in my demeanor, in the spirit upon me. And I looked at myself and I saw a fully formed Bruce Atkinson. And that was a powerful vision. And then I went away and I've thought about that often. And often I've thought to myself when I'm not feeling strong or I'm feeling a bit of a failure or I'm making mistakes. I, I, I think of that picture of me and I think, how could I ever be like that? Well, God on that evening had given me a vision of the Bruce that he wanted me to become. Well, here God had given Gideon a vision of the Gideon that he was to become. And, and God often calls those things that are not yet as though they were. That's what uh, Romans 4 says. So he didn't come to Gideon and say, one day you will be a, a valiant warrior. But he simply called those things that were not yet as though they were. Because God knew the end from the beginning. Gideon may have had no confidence in himself, but if he'd understood God, the God who was saying that he was a valiant warrior, and understood the God who said, I am with you, then he could have trusted God and said, well, I don't know what this means, but if you say it, God, I believe it. What God was basically saying is the sermon title I've got behind me, you can do it. I remember the senior minister of Kensington Temple when I first joined KT and came to the Bible school. Uh, Colin was the associate minister, and the year I came, the senior minister was a man called Wynne Lewis. And uh, anybody remember Wynne Lewis? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. And, and Wynne Lewis was a dynamic senior minister, and, uh, and one of his main messages was, you can do it. You can do it. He preached on many different things, but often he would come to the place where he'd say, you can do it. You can plant a church. You can lead a cell group. You can be a missionary. Whatever God's called you to do, you can do it is one of his key messages. You can do it. In fact, I remember once I had this incredibly vivid dream about a year or so ago. It was one of those so vivid you didn't know whether it was real or not. And in it, Wynne Lewis popped up and came up to me, and he, he was so real to me, he just looked at me, and he just said to me, you can do it, which was his message. And, uh, and I was excited. Well, I want to tell you today that you can do it. Gideon was saying, what, what do you mean I'm a mighty warrior? 
And then Gideon referred to him and, and brought out the excuses. You know, when the Lord wants to use you, expect excuses to manifest in your heart and your mind. It's natural. Don't worry about it. It's going to come. God's going to call you. God's going to use you. And then when God says how he's going to use you or calls you to the next step of using you and challenges you to step out, then inside you, you can be absolutely sure that your excuses are going to rise. When those excuses come, just recognize that's part of the process, but we don't stay at the excuses level. We press on to trusting the Lord. So here's Gideon's first, and Gideon's first excuse is, uh, is about the Lord that is with him. You see here, God says two things, doesn't he, in verse 12. Number one, the Lord is with you. And number two, O valiant warrior. So the first excuses that uh, Gideon has are to do with the Lord who's with you. Okay. Often our first excuses are, how do I know you'll go with me, Lord? How do I know that you will be with me when I step out? You might let me fall flat, flat on my face. How do I know you'll empower me? How do I know your favor will go with me? How do I know that I'll be up for the task when the task comes along? How do I know you will perform your part in your call on my life when you say that you can do it? And so that was the first excuses. Well, how do I know the Lord is with me. And Gideon said, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are the miracles which our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us? So Gideon is saying, God, how do I know you'll be with us? Look at the situation that's around us. Look, look at other people. I don't see other people stepping out and doing it. And you're asking me to do it? Well, I don't, I don't the, the world today, here I am, I'm hiding in my wine press and I'm not engaging with the real world because it's not working. I've read the Bible uh, or I've read the, the writings of the Bible so far and I, I've seen in generations in the past, you're the type of God that stepped in. I've heard about the wonders of your deliverance of your people from Egypt. And I've heard about how you took Jericho. I've heard all these stories, but I wasn't around in those days. And I haven't seen anything of these types of interventions by you in my life. Even my parents, they don't remember any. So I don't see the God who intervenes. I don't see the God of these stories of the old stepping in today. Maybe you've read stories of revivals in the past or great heroes of the faith or great moves of God or great times when the gospel has triumphed in powerful ways in October, we're going to have a Reformation conference where we'll celebrate Luther's 500 years since Luther began the Reformation, which was a great move of God stepping into Europe over decades and centuries. God showed up. But we could say, well, where is the God of Luther today? We don't see him. Where are you? And so here, the first excuse was, God, are you going to be there for us? Are you going to, to be there for us? And these are trust issues. You can sum Christianity up in, in this phrase. Christianity is all about us dealing with our trust issues. Trust issues. 
Will God be there for me if I'm obedient? Will God be there for me if I trust him and step out? Will God, be, will God bless me if I'm obedient? Will God step in? Will God watch over? Many of the things that stop us being all that God wants us to be, many of the things that stop us are that our, we don't trust the Lord in those areas. In order to step out with God into a new area in your life, you're going to have to have a fresh trusting with him. Abraham is called uh, the father of all who believes in Romans chapter 4. And we are to walk in Abraham's footsteps. But if you look at the life of Abraham, it was all a journey about him dealing with his trust issues with the Lord. The Lord promised him a son. Abraham believed right at the beginning of his journey in Genesis 15. But look at how many times in Abraham's life he didn't trust God. He didn't trust God twice over his wife, Sarah. And God said, Sarah will give you this miracle child. But twice, Abraham, frightened that God could not preserve him and Sarah's life, lied and said, Sarah is my sister. And, he, and the king nearly got destroyed because the king was going to take Sarah for his wife. But then he did it again with another person. And so what was that? Abraham didn't trust that God was able to protect him and to bring about the promises. How about Abraham and Ishmael? They'd come to the place where they were fed up waiting for God. God had promised, but God wasn't going to do it supernaturally. So they took things into their own hands. Why? Because they didn't trust God. Yet he grew and he learned by his mistakes. It's okay to learn from our mistakes. He learned from his mistakes until the time came when God said, take Isaac and take him on the mountain and sacrifice him. And Abraham reasoned with the reasoning of faith and said to himself, well, if I sacrifice Isaac, God said in Isaac will be your seed. God will have to raise him from the dead. He became fully mature because he no longer had any God trusting issues. What trust issues with God are preventing you from taking steps forward in your Christian life and obedience? What is holding you back? You're worried that if you take a step forward in the ministry, you take a step forward in the cell vision, if you take a step forward in some aspect of your Christian life, you're worried that it might not work out, that God won't be there with you, that God will let you down, that somehow you'll be in a worse off position that, that, than, than if you didn't trust him. God is speaking to us. Gideon had trust issues. Where were you, Lord? You used to help us, but we haven't seen you here. And God's answer to him, he didn't really answer it, verse 14, he says, Go in, the, in your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? God doesn't go over old ground. God is the God of now. He's the God of today. He's alive yesterday, today, and forever. And he was Gideon's today God. And he was saying, look, whatever you have, go in it and deliver Israel because I have sent you. Wow. He doesn't give him some special anointing or some incredible like, like experience where suddenly he feels like he's Superman or one of these great Marvel superheroes all charged up. But God says, take what you have right now and go. Wow, that's amazing. 
Not wait for some special baptism of power. Not wait until you think that you're able to step out in what God's calling. But simply, right now, whether you feel weak or strong, take a step forward in the direction that God sent you and trust him has he not sent you. So having asked God about the fact, well, Lord, are you really with me? And God says, yes. He then moves to the second thing where God says, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And he says, wait, how will I deliver Israel? My family's the least and I'm the youngest in my father's house. So here we find that Gideon is now looking, not, not whether will God be with me, but now he's saying, am I up to it? And his uh, answer to himself is no. He's thinking he's the least, the least of the least, the last person that God would use. Everybody else is more qualified to be used by God than he is. He's, he's from the lowest family and he's the youngest in the family. And so he had this view of himself, which was partly true. I mean, it was true that he was in the lowliest tribe and it was true that he was the youngest. But I've already said, God delights to call those who the world doesn't rate and who don't rate themselves to do remarkable things of the Spirit. Think of the apostles. You know, we call them St. Peter and, and uh, uh, St. Thomas. And we think of these apostles. But you know what? The, the apostles were a real rabble. You, you would never choose them to come on to your church leadership team. If you, if you gave our senior leader, Colin Dye, the resumes of all the apostles, except perhaps Paul, when he got saved, you would never bring any of them on. Because they weren't equipped they, didn't, they weren't prepared. They hadn't been to rabbi school. They were the last people that anyone would choose. But Jesus chose them so that he could show his glory through them and so that nobody would be able to boast. And so we find ourselves, also when we look at ourselves, reasons to stay where I am. Number one, will you really be with me? God says, yes. If you're going to do my will and my call, I will be with you. Number two, well, I can't go because of my family background. I'm not educated. My age, my experience. I mean, you fill in the blanks for yourself if you're a Gideon here today. Why can't God use you? Oh, I'm not sanctified enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not confident. And I mean, you just fill in the blank that you want to fill. Nobody is in a lower place than Gideon was in his situation, hiding in that wine press, the least that you would, the least person in Israel that could be used. He's a lesson to us. But God says to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Then his insecurities arise. He's heard from God He's used his excuses, but he's working through these excuses. And there's a glimmer of sort of, okay, maybe I'll do something here. A tentativeness that's the beginning of the boldness that would become Gideon in the coming days and weeks. He's listening to the Lord. He's dealing with his issues. Will you be with me? What about me? I don't think I'm able to be used. And God is keep saying, I'm with you. Go in your strength. Obey me, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. It reminds me actually of the first chapter of Joshua, 
where Joshua, who had been trained to replace Moses, and everybody recognized it, but in the first chapter, God just says, only be strong and courageous. He says it three times. Only be strong and courageous. And says, every place you put the the sole of your foot will, will be yours. Meditate on the word of God. Only be strong and courageous. And so there, even, even someone like Joshua and the Joshua generation, God is saying, I'll be with you. Be strong and courageous. Move forward. And we see this. This is how the Lord deals with us kindly and firmly as he calls us to go forward in our Christian life and not stay where we are. To do something actively going forward in our cell lives if we're in it might be to join a cell it might be to lead a cell it might be in September to join one of our Sunday teams we've got so many of them to be part of the ministry on a Sunday many of these things God will show you if you're ready to move forward there is room in Kensington Temple for everybody to become whatever God wants them to be and we can talk to you at the end of the service we can help you find out how to move forward. Everybody can become whatever God wants them to be in Kensington Temple, London City Church. We're here to help you move forward in your calling for for God. So he begins to respond, to work through the issues with God about whether God will be with him and about his own personal insecurities. And these insecurities change, but he's at least trying to reach out. So he says, he says, oh, will, will, you, will you give me a sign? And he comes back with an offering and, and God gives him a sign. And so slowly he's beginning to get confident. And then God asks him to do something pretty powerful, pretty radical. He says, right, I want you to go to the root issue that is the root spiritual cause of the defeat of the nation. And I want you to start in your own household. I want you to go to this altar of Baal and this Ashtaroth, which is a big pole that they use to worship, a bit like a totem pole that they use to worship the Baal god. And he says, I want you to cut down the worship of other gods and I want you to replace it with an altar to the Lord. So the first thing that, that um, he actually does is not to go and defeat the Midianites, not to go and to call an army, but the first thing that he does is deal with his household idolatry. It's like God was saying, in order to use you to defeat the Midianites, I need to defeat the Midianites in you. You hear what I'm saying? In order for me to use you to defeat the Midianites, I need to de- defeat the Midianites that's in you. What do you mean in you? Well, you're worshipping the same God. You've got you, the, 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 the pollution of false gods, the pollution of this society that God wants to redeem has polluted you. Gideon was more influenced by the Midianites, their society and their ways and their gods than he was by the true and living God. And so was his family. And so there comes a period of consecration and sanctification. Even the Joshua generation, remember Joshua chapter 1, go, whatever you put your foot, I'll give to you. Be strong and courageous. But there was a moment, wasn't there, where they had to consecrate themselves at Gilgal before they went into the land. They had to make sure that they'd got rid of all of the false gods and and, and the influence of a godless society that was in them before they could defeat the godless society. 
Now, this doesn't happen in an instant, but what in our lives do we, what, what altars of the world need to be broken down in our lives? What, what worldly thinking, because that's what it is, what worldly thinking of unbelief or carnality could there be in our lives that God is saying, get rid of that thing so that I can get you out? Because before you defeat the world, the world in you has to be defeated. And to his credit, he did it. He did it at night because he, he was scared. He didn't have enough faith in God to do it in the daytime, but we know that God would have been with him in the daytime. You know, we know that he could have called all the family and everybody and said, and done like an Elijah and said, I'm going to destroy this in front of you and you can't touch me because the Lord is with me. He could have done that, couldn't he? He wasn't quite there yet. So this is a wonderful picture of someone growing in their faith and God giving them space to grow in their faith. You could see God thinking, what's he doing to the angel? Well, he's waiting till night so nobody, nobody will see him. Yeah, but in the morning they'll discover. Yeah, I know, but well, let, 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 him, let him on his journey. And so he did this, and in the morning they did discover it. And although we didn't read it, it's, it's an amazing thing. They say, why did you do this? And uh, who did it? They said, Gideon. And they said, right, we're going to bring him out and he's going to die for doing this. But then God sends Joash to, uh, to, to look after him. And Joash, the great general, says to all in verse 31 of Judges 6.31, Judges 6, but Joash said to all who stood against Gideon, will you contend for Baal or will you deliver him? Whoever will plead for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a God, let him contend for himself because someone has torn down the old, his altar. Therefore, on that day, they named Gideon Jeroboam. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he'd torn his altar down. What a name, Jeroboam. He was called Gideon, but now God had changed his name. And, and I don't know if Gideon was that pleased about it. Because wherever he goes, he's going to be called uh, the one that contends with, uh, with Baal. Let Baal contend against him. In other words, here's the contender against Baal. Can you imagine when, when the, uh, um, the Midianites said, well, who is the leader of this army? Oh, they call him the contender against Baal. Imagine carrying that around with you. Wherever you go, what's your name? I contend to get, I got, in other words, I've got a beef with Baal. Or in other words, I'm in an argument with Baal. Or in other words, I'm having a fight with Baal. In other words, I'm challenging Baal. I mean, do you think Gideon was pleased with that name? I think as soon as Joash said, they said, we're going to call him Jeroboam, the one who's having a fight with Baal. I think you think, oh God, that's not a good name. That's not a good name. The one who's having a fight with Baal. That's, that's, that, you know, you know, that's not going to go down very well at cocktail parties. Uh, that's not going to go... When the Midians go, well, whatever you do, when the Midians start fighting, whatever you do, you get that bloke who says he's having a fight with our God. But that act changed the way that people saw him and therefore also changed who he was. You know, it's interesting how people see you and how you perceive yourself. As you begin to take fresh steps in new territory, new ground in following the Lord, you might not think that you're changing much, but people will begin to see a change in you. People will begin to see you in the way that God sees you. 
I've got to admit, in the course of my life, that has often surprised me. Uh, I have suffered in the past from low self-esteem, not crippling low self-esteem like some people have to overcome, but low self-esteem. And as I've gone in my journey with God, sometimes I've been very, very surprised, not only how God sees me, like Gideon suffered from, but also I've been surprised how people see me and sometimes how they see me as God sees me. And I'm thinking to myself, oh dear, not only is God speaking these things, other people are speaking these things. And then I get worried that I've got a lot to live up to. That's your, that's your classic Gideon complex, isn't it? So here's Gideon, the one who has a fight with Baal, and he's thinking, oh no, what, 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 what more is happening? But he's still tentative. And so he asks for God, God, give me a fleece, Lord. And you know the story of the fleece and God will put dew on it when there's no dew and all this sort of stuff. And that is immaturity. Please don't go away today and fleece God. Because if you fleece God, you might get fleeced. Because I've seen people put out a fleece for the Lord, they call it. And they say, Lord, if you do this, I'll do that. And I've seen people do it for the wrong thing. And then say, oh God, God came through. And they go and do something that he never told them to do. You don't trust the fleeces. What you do is you trust the wisdom of the Lord, the word of the Lord. And you go to wise people to help you navigate your way. And anyway, most of the thing that God's asking us to do, we don't need to ask for any fleeces. We just need to take a step. And I would imagine that most of you, it only take about five minutes. You already know what God is asking you to do. For your next step. It's, it's not a surprise to you. It's there if you ask him. It's a step that is going to require the giddying and anointing. It's a step that's going to require a, you can do it. I'm with you, mighty woman of God, mighty man of God. It's a step where you'll go, well, how do I know if you will be with me, Lord? And it's a step where you'll go, well, I don't know if I'm a mighty man or woman of God. And then you're going to tentatively step out. And then as things change, you, your identity is going to be changed. Although not your real identity, you're going to become what God has called you to become. You see, the more that we step out in following the Lord, the more we will become who God created us to be. You're not when you follow the Lord and step out like Gideon, you're not becoming a person that you're not, but you are becoming who you are. As we step out of unbelief, as we step out of insecurity, as we step out of low self-esteem like Gideon, we don't become somebody that we're not. We discover ourselves. Somebody once said that Christianity is the process of self-discovery. That the moment you become a Christian, you begin a journey of finding out who you really are. Ah, and who God has called you to be and destined you to be. And then God begins healing you of the person that you're not and the wounds that you've picked up on the way and the false thinking that has got in and the enemy's lies and, and your own lies. And God begins to pull down strongholds of the mind. And then slowly but surely, as you follow the Lord, you begin to see him clearly, that he's faithful, always with you, but also in his light of who he is, you begin to know yourself. In the beginning of the Institutes of Religion, John Calvin's great work on doctrine, he starts off by saying this, the sum of true knowledge, you want to find out what true knowledge is? Is to find out who God is. Because when you find out who God is, you then find out who you are, whom he created. 
Well, we won't go any further into this story except to say that this working of God continued because uh, if you want to read on in the story, Gideon calls thousands of thousands to come and, mid- and, and destroy the Midianites and thousands of thousands and thousands join him. Things are looking up until God says, too many. And Gideon's like, what? Too many. And God has various ways of whittling them down. You know, the, the ones that drink and look and the ones that lap like dogs at the water and, and the ones that drink and look, well, they can stay. And it goes on and it goes on. And then those that are fearful can leave. And you see, can you imagine Gideon? I mean, here he is. And, and, and every time God says another reason for people to go, they go. Those that are frightened can leave. Wow. <laughs> those, that, those that have family, they can leave. Wow. I mean, God has given them every, every excuse until there's 300 of them and it's, and it's impossible. And God says, yes. Now, he said, if I delivered you with the thousands, they'd have said that we did it in our own strength. Do you know what you can be excited about? God has a plan for you where you can't do it. And, and, and if you think you can, or if you think you're in a place where you can do it, and God is thinking, hmm, you've gone from, uh, gone from a Gideon who don't think he can do anything. You've, come to come, you've become a Saul who thinks he can do everything. I'm going to have to cut you down a bit. I'm going to have to prune you a little bit. You ever been in a place where, where actually you've, you, you, you know, I've been speaking about Gideon, but you've ever been in a place where you've suddenly become very confident? God's broken through a few times and you, you're thinking that, you know, you are the man of God for the hour. You are the woman of God for that. But you've seen it and you're going around saying, I've got a testimony to tell you. God is on my side. You can believe. And God says, okay, getting a little bit, a little bit, you know, thinking they're a little bit, you know. Let, let, let me just get rid of a bit of that power. Let me just cut you down to size again until you're like, oh my God, I can't do it. It's all gone wrong. How can I do it? And God's going, that's right, back in the right place. Not that you have to be in fear or, fear or anything, but you have to be in a place where you say, if God, if God doesn't, I can't. But also, but God said I can. I can do it. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God speaking to some of us today. He's saying, you can do it. You can do it. And we're struggling like Gideon. And I've given you his story. But God's working. There's things that you can do. Things that you can do in the vision of this house in the coming weeks and months. Things you can do. Join us. We believe we can take London for Jesus. London and the world for Christ alongside other groups. We, we believe that we can multiply. We believe that we can produce thousands of leaders and, and, and have groups of people discipling one another all over London. We believe that millions of people can come to Christ. We believe that you can be a leader of tens and fifties and hundreds and and that God can use you in this house and in the kingdom. We believe that God can use you in the marketplace and the giants of influence. We believe, we believe, we believe, we believe in you. We believe God can use you. Can you hear the call of God? You're not in Kensington Temple for an accident. He didn't play you, and, and I don't mean to be rude, but he didn't place you in some church somewhere that doesn't do anything or require anything except for you to turn up on a Sunday and give in the offering. But God has put you in a place where you can be transformed, energized, trained, challenged, moved forward. He's put, put you in a place filled with Gideons that God can use to his glory. Be encouraged. 
God is with you, mighty woman of God, mighty man of God. God is with you. You can do it in Jesus' name.